Uh, Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be, and, and uh, we're going to continue to walk through uh, this study called Characters of Christmas, and uh, we're going to begin in verse 26 and, and walk through uh, several verses there, and, uh, and look at the woman God chose. Last week we looked at Joseph, and, and uh, we saw the man God chose, and today we'll see the woman that God chose. And uh, we are officially 100% in on uh, Christmas season. Uh, trees are up, wreaths are out, parades are happening, uh, stockings are up, lights are strung, treats are being eaten. Uh, you can't walk into a store hardly without uh, just encountering some kind of Christmas display. Uh, mangers are up, there's just songs are playing on the radio. Uh, it, is, it is Christmas season, and, and one of the reasons why I love this time is, uh, is because when you go in those stores that they're playing Christmas music, if you linger long enough, you're going to hear a song of praise to Jesus uh, in the store. And I love that, being in these places and just hearing these songs about Jesus. And, uh, and so I think for obviously all of us here in the West, but really around the world, we know that this is the Christmas season. But as we open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1 and we begin to walk through what is the Christmas story, it is important to remember there is no Christmas season. Like Christmas doesn't exist. There are no trees, there are no lights, there are no wreaths, there are no manger scenes, there are no stockings, uh, there are no uh, Christmas songs playing, uh, Bethlehem 101.3, Mary did you know, like that, Mary definitely doesn't know, she has no idea what we are going to see her experience in these uh, next few verses of scripture, and so it's, so it's just important to remember, none of that is happening right now, matter of fact, uh, the, 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 the spiritual pulse on the people of God uh, could be described as just a perpetual waiting. And so you may even be there right now, uh, wherever you are living life, that you may find yourself in this waiting season. You're waiting for an answer. You're waiting for God to move. You're waiting for God to show you. You're waiting for God to come through on, on something going on in your world, like you are waiting. The people of God, as we read Luke 1, are in this perpetual waiting. Matter of fact, there has been no prophetic voice for 400 years. So in our Bibles, we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, and there are about 400 years of silence in between those Testaments. But as I was reminded even over the weekend is that while we are waiting, God is always working. And when it seems like there's nothing happening and when it seems like God is maybe late or, 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 or maybe not on the schedule we wish or we desire, the reality is, is God is always working through those 400 years of prophetic silence. God was always working. And the people of God, I'm sure, throughout Judea, throughout Galilee, and even in Nazareth, you would have people of God who the anticipation of the Messiah was always at an all-time high. They were always looking. They were always hoping. They were hoping they would see the Messiah. And yet, they have, they have this desire and this waiting that's happening. But in, in, in reality, they're also must be weary. 
I'm sure there's conversations going on throughout the land about remembering kind of the good old days when King David ruled and there was such prosperity and God's people thrived and, and how they would maybe talk about how their ancestors had this time and they would look back and they would think about that time. But, but, but in this years of silence and waiting, they're hoping, but perhaps that hope of the Messiah even is kind of just beginning to fall through the cracks because their experience has has seen a guy named Alexander the Great come in and just kind of take over the land and, and fill their land with, with Greek culture. And then in time, the Romans came in and overthrew the Greeks. And Rome came in and they're the power and they're the ruler and they're infusing the culture with their pagan practices and their way of life. And so here are the people of God hoping, awaiting for the Messiah to come. And yet in the same breath, they find themselves weary and waiting under Roman oppression that is, that, is, that is tangible. But it's in this setting that in the fullness of time, as Paul describes it, that God would send forth the Son. That while the people of God were waiting, God was always working. That all of heaven was waiting for this moment when God would give the Word. He says over in Galatians 4.4, Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When the world was waiting and losing hope and wondering, God was always working and now is the time. And God says, go. God says, go. And last week we saw how God chose a man, to be the adoptive earthly father of Jesus. And today we see God choosing this impoverished um, teenage girl from Nazareth to carry the Son of God. And so as we look at the text, there are several factors in Mary's life that we see how through the prophecy of the Old Testament that, that perhaps we don't know but, but we do know about Mary is that, uh, is that she, she was from the line of the king of David. That she was engaged to Joseph who was in the line of David. How in all God's timing and is perfect that the census would be called and they would go to Bethlehem because that's when, where the Savior would be born. We see that she is a virgin as the prophet Isaiah prophesied. We see she's from Nazareth. But our focus today isn't so much on why, because I would never presume to know why God would choose Mary. But we do see the kind of woman that God chose. And just like last week as we looked at the kind of God man chose to use, and I, I encourage the ladies in the room, like because we look at Joseph and we're looking at his life, like, like there's so much for every follower to learn from Joseph. And the same is true for Mary. That as men, we have so much learning to do as we see Mary and we see uh, her life and we see her love for the Lord. And so as we open the text, we see a teenage girl that will be obvious her faith is strong. And I love that her faith is so strong because it's not the faith of an 86-year-old and it's not the faith of a 6-year-old or a 40-year-old or a 25-year-old or a 20-year-old. It's the faith of a 13, 14, 15-year-old teenage girl. And it's this 
kind of unknown, what, one, what may, many may consider this ordinary girl that God chooses to use in an incredible way. Let's look at verse 26 of Luke 1. The Bible says this. The Bible says that in the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. So of all the the ladies, the young ladies, the women God would choose to use, He's chosen Mary. Mary in what many would consider this backwoods, no place, nowhere town called Nazareth. That was the view of Galilee. That was the view of of Nazareth, this city. But Gabriel is the angel we see mentioned three times in Scripture up to this point. If we were to go back to the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 8 and 9, we would see Gabriel. We would see that God gave Daniel a vision. And God sent Gabriel to Daniel to help interpret this vision and ultimately point to the Messiah that would come, the Anointed One whose name would be Jesus. Gabriel's always pointing people to Jesus. The second time he shows up is actually in the verses just leading up to what we just read. Gabriel was sent to a priest named Zechariah in a temple in Jerusalem. And as Zechariah was there, Gabriel met Zechariah and told him that his wife Elizabeth, who is barren and who is advanced in years, said that well, she will bear a son. And that name, the name, his name will be called John. And this is the John the baptizer, John the one who made and prepared the way for the Lord. But the, the Gabriel told Zechariah this in Luke 1.14, he said, You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And if you know the story, Zechariah doubted, and in that doubt, he was not able to speak until the day that John was born. And he had this silence that he walked around in, but yet it was Gabriel who was always pointing to the Messiah. Now John is going to be the forerunner for the Messiah, and the Bible says that when Elizabeth conceived, she actually hid herself for five months. And so that's why when we started in verse 26, it said in the sixth month, because this is the the sixth month of John the baptizer's conception that Gabriel has come to visit this young teenager. And so in verse 28, the Bible says, And he, Gabriel, came to her, Mary, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, And you shall call His name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And His kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Who did God choose? God chose Mary. What do we see in Mary's life? We see that she is amazingly and uniquely ordinary. And I say that in the most encouraging way. Because Mary was not a superstar. She wasn't wearing a cape and 
and like it was obvious that she would be the one that God would choose. No, rather, she was just a faithful lover of God who loved God and was living her impoverished life as a teenager in this backwoods, nowhere, know-nothing town. This is where she was. She was like every other Jewish girl living an ordinary life in the ordinary town. Kent Hughes says it this way of her likely future. He says, from all indications, her life would not be extraordinary. She would marry humbly, give birth to numerous children, never travel further than a few miles from home, and one day die like thousands of others before her, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Dan Darling says this, he says, We often think God works through extreme giftedness or among those who are wealthy and well-connected. But the Christmas story reminds us that God moves in and among those who society most often leaves behind. That the thread of redemption woven throughout Scripture winds its way through a lot of small towns and seemingly little lives. The Christmas story reminds us and encourages all of us that God desires to use even us. Because it is so easy for all of us to probably list out multiple reasons why God would ever use us, why He wouldn't use us, why He couldn't use us. But yet, what I love in this story is that God chooses to use us in spite of our credentials. We don't have credentials. The Bible says our credentials, if you want to call them that, our righteousness, He says they're like filthy rags. Like we, 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 what do we have to give the Holy One? What do we have to bring to God? But God desires to use us, to use His people, amazingly ordinary people, to point others to Him. That's what He's doing with Mary's life and through Mary's life. It's what He desires to, to use in our life. Every single one of us lives somewhere, we play somewhere, and we work somewhere. We live, work, and play. And we're in these different places. And as we go, the, the vision and the desire of God is that He would use us everywhere we go to point other people to Him. That the Bible says, I love, and I, I know I say it often, but it's one of my favorite verses. That Paul says that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus, which God, prepared, which God has prepared good works that we would walk in them. He's prepared these good works in advance that we would walk in Him. Like God doesn't miss up. He doesn't say, oops, like, God has uniquely, amazingly created you for His glory and for His mission. She's amazingly ordinary. And then we see her response. Gabriel visits her in Nazareth of all places. And what does the angel say? The Mary, uh, the Gabriel says, do not be afraid. We talked about this last week with Joseph. But everywhere you see sinful people, which by the way, Mary was a a sinful teenage girl, just like all of us are sinful people. There are none righteous. There are no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody has it all together. But yet God has chosen to use Mary. And when sinful people come in the manifest presence of God, the same thing always happens. People realize how sinful they are in the presence of a holy God and they fall down. John in Revelation says he fell down like he was dead. 
Isaiah and Isaiah 6, he sees the manifest glory of God. What does he do? Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. What did the, the angel say to Joseph when he encountered him in the dream? Do not be afraid. What does the angel Gabriel say to Mary? Do not be afraid. Why? Because I believe she was so scared. I believe she was so fearful. And I can't imagine the calming presence of the messenger Gabriel when he said, do not fear. And I just want to say there is wisdom in a healthy awe and reverence of God. That we would never lose that. Even the writer of Proverbs, uh, they call Proverbs the book of, anybody know? The book of wisdom. The book of wisdom. And here's what the book of wisdom says in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is Insight. And so Mary is processing, how can this happen? I think she's got two kind of trains of thought going on possibly. How can this happen? Because I'm so amazingly ordinary. Like, Why would God ever choose me? And I also see the very practical side of how could I, how could you choose me? Because she says, she's like, I'm a virgin. She'd never been physically intimate with anybody. We talked about how the whole marriage thing works back in first century. Very different than the West. There would be an engagement. It would be a legally binding contract. They would go to the synagogue and they would be engaged. And then there would be this year until the ceremony actually happened. And they called this this process, this engagement, a betrothal. And what's really unique and strange, so different than the West, is that the married couple or the couple to be married would spend very little time together. They'd actually spend time apart and it would be this test of fidelity to one another. So she's processing here. How can this happen? Verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Gabriel explains how. She's like, how can this be? How can this happen? Gabriel tells her exactly how this is going to happen. The Holy Spirit will overcome her and she will bear the son of God how can I Mary have a child when I'm a virgin how can Elizabeth who is advanced in age her cousin and barren how does that work and I love that's the context we quote it oftentimes but nothing is impossible with God like like God takes all our reasons for why something can't happen and those, those, all those reasons don't stand against the fact of who God is and that God can do absolutely anything. Why did God choose Mary? God chose Mary, this amazingly ordinary teenage girl who had a love for God. And she all, he, God also chose her. And we see in this life the kind of, of, of person God uses is humble and obedient. I've mentioned this multiple times, but I think it's important that we see the picture. Mary was the least likely candidate. She was impoverished. She was a 
a teenager, and yet even at a 13, 14, 15 year old age, she understood her life was a divine stewardship. She got to this place in her life where she understood. I mean, how many times have we, you know, obviously like just naturally saying we talk about our life. We talk about my life. We talk about my job. We talk about my children. We talk about uh, my family. We talk about my hobbies. We talk about all these things. But here is Mary, this young teenage girl, and she, she sees everything she is and everything she has as God's. Like, it's like my life is your life. Her life is God's life. How many of us process our decisions and our choices in, 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 our, in our lives? How many choose through the filter of we are not our own? We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we will glorify God with our body like Paul did over in Galatians. But we see she was humble and she was obedient. That word there, she says, I am the servant of the Lord. The word actually literally is slave. She saw herself as a slave to God, submitted to His authority and ownership in every area of her life. She says, like, like the words of Christ, not my will, but yours be done. Mary says, not my will, but yours be done in my life. Verse 38, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And there's so much there. There's so much we could unpack but I believe a, a priority, at least one priority that we see is that priority of community. We are not made to walk through life alone. Rather, I see God in His grace and His care when He sent the message through Gabriel to Mary. Who did He talk about? He, he mentioned Mary her, or Elizabeth, her, her relative. So much so to the point that when when, when, when the meeting is over, the Bible says that she went in haste to Elizabeth. That word haste speaks of hurry, like she ran. She made a sprint. Like Mary wasn't there, and I know they didn't have like Twitter, Facebook, or, or like, any, like whatever messaging system might be used to communicate to the world, this is what's happened in my life. Rather, we see her model of treasuring up what, God has shown and revealed in her heart and she made her way to Elizabeth. Why? Because I think she went to a person who she knew could understand. It's not apples and apples, but she went to Mary. Why? Because Mary had her own unique story. That God sent the same angel to Zechariah. And that is she was aware. I, I, don't, I don't think you have to go through something to encourage someone who's not going through it. But I also know God often uses those who have gone through things to help us as we go through the same things. 
And what Mary knows is the same angel went to her relative and she is advanced in years and she is barren and she's having a child and I'm having a child and these are two miraculous births that are happening. I need to run to Elizabeth. And that's exactly what she does. We see this powerful principle that we need others. Needing others is not a sign of weakness. Needing others is a sign of living in God's design. Like We need one another. And my hunch is this. My hunch is Mary found a lot of comfort in talking to Elizabeth. And my hunch is Elizabeth found a lot of comfort talking to Mary. And in Hebrews, the writer over in Hebrews chapter 10, 24-25 says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Like that passage, that's in the context of the gathering of the body of Christ. But I see the the absolute practical application of the fact that we need other people in our lives to help stir, stir us on and speak into our lives to live for the Lord even as the the day is drawing near. So God chose this amazingly ordinary, humble, obedient teenage girl to be used for His purposes and for His glory. And there's one more kind of characteristic or reality of Mary's life that I believe is such an encouragement and also a challenge is that after all of this has happened, And I want you, as best as you can, try to place yourself in the shoes of Mary. After all of this has happened, what what does Mary do? What does Mary say? And what we see is Mary is a worshiper. Look at verse 46. This is Mary's response. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Have we just all read the same thing? (laughs) Have we all read about the whirlwind? Have we read about Gabriel? Have we heard what God is doing through her and with her? And yet, what is her response? Her response is a song. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. Mary would be the most humble teenage girl you could find in Nazareth. How, how, why would God choose me? He says, the Bible says, for behold, she said, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their homes, and exalted, I love this, those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich has sent away empty, and He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. We don't know this. This is pure speculation, but the odds are very high. Mary does not know how to read and Mary does not know how to write. So where is this song coming from? It's coming from her heart. That this 13, 14, 15 year old girl 
had so fallen in love with the truth and the promises of God and so hidden those promises and that truth in her heart that when the whirlwind of God's plan and divine providence and the angel Gabriel and all of those things bear in on her of all people's life, her response is a song from her heart. Like we don't know, she doesn't have paper, she doesn't have pen, she hasn't been working on this thing for a long time. Like literally, like if you ever knock something over, um, some of us maybe knock stuff over more than others, right? But when we knock stuff over, something comes out. So when we knock something over, what comes out is, is, a, is what's inside of it. And so Mary's life literally has been knocked off center, in, 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 and that's putting it lightly, and yet what pours out is praise. It's honor, it's glory. It's not an exhaustive study, but you'll find somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 Old Testament Scriptures that are referenced in that song that she just said. Why? How? She treasured the Word of God. Why? Because she, when she went to synagogue and she heard the Torah and she heard the promises and she heard the prophets' writings, she stored them up in her heart and clung to them. Why? Because they gave life to her soul. And so when the whirlwind strikes, we find life through the promises of His Word. Praise flowed out at the ripe age of 13, 14, 15. We have so much we can learn from this teenage girl in Nazareth. In verse 56, and I'll wrap up here, uh, the Bible says that Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. If y'all remember last week, we, we picked up where the angel visited Joseph and the Bible says that Mary came to him and it was found out that she was with child. Well, th that is likely happening right after this. Like She got the message from Gabriel. She's been with Elizabeth. Remember, there's that, there's that time of separation that takes place. And she, after three months, is now about to go to Nazareth and have a can we talk conversation with Joseph. And everything in their lives are going to be changed forever and ever and ever. But who did God choose? God chose an amazingly ordinary lover of God. Never put God in a box. Let's not make the laundry list of why God can't use us. When we talk about why God can't use us, we're actually taking the focus off of what God can do and we're putting the focus on ourselves because why nothing is impossible apart from God. God chose the uniquely ordinary. I can only imagine, and I know Moses doubted that God could use him. He tried to negotiate a little bit around the burning bush. And we all know how that ended, right? He went because it was God's will for his life. Abraham, I don't know how it all worked, but God chose Abraham. I'm sure Abraham had some moments like, God, really? Me? Seriously? <laughs> me? You want to use me? King David? Watching... Um, you know, the, the, the fold out in the Bethlehem fields, the, she, the sheep, like me, me, you want to use me? What? I'm going to be? What? Huh? Like, how does that work? Mary, can you imagine? Me? God? Me? Yes. God qualifies the called, right? He doesn't call the qualified. We've heard that possibly in our journey, and it's true. 
So we must stop putting God in a box and know that God wants to use each of us for His glory and for His mission. So He's uniquely ordinary. We see this humble spirit. Her life was not one promoting herself, giving, uh, giving uh, praise to herself, or, or saying why she should be the one that God could use. But rather, she's humble. She's obedient. God, not my will, but Your will be done. Nevertheless, I am I am your servant. I am your slave. Everything I have, everything I am belong to you. And then we see her heart, her heart of worship. And what I love is that if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus and you have repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus, whether you are the youngest heart in the room or whether you are the oldest heart in the room, God desires to use your life today for His glory and for His mission, and to point others to Him. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. And to the, I just say to the teenagers, to the teenagers, y'all are all over the place, all right? To the teenagers, to the pre-teenagers, don't let it some kind of age limit kind of like hinder you from pursuing what God has for you. Like, like, what did Paul tell Timothy? Let no one despise your youth, but rather be an example. Show us what it looks like to follow God. Show us what it's like to share your faith with courage. Show us what it's like to stand for God when nobody else will. May I encourage you in your faith. So whether you're the youngest heart or the oldest heart, Live for God. And what did Mary say? Mary? Mary said yes. Think about what she said yes to. Mary said yes. She said yes to the shame that was coming. Because you show up to your hometown. She's engaged to Joseph. She's going to have a child. She says yes to God. She says yes to raising the Son of God. Think about that for a second. Like, I'm, I'm thinking, like, that's got to bring some unique challenges in and of its own, right? We, we're all imperfect people, so we know what that world looks like, but the unique challenges that she said yes to raising the Son of God. It's incredible. You think about what she said yes to a lifetime of roller coaster emotions. Like there's no way she could have seen how it would all play out, but she would know the prophets. She would know that Isaiah would write about the suffering servant. She knew that there would be a point somewhere along the line where she would see her son, the divine son of God, fully God, fully man, where she would watch him be betrayed, where she would watch him be arrested, where she would watch Him be scourged, where she would watch Him be crucified on a cross for the sins of the world. Mary is the only person in the Bible that was there when Jesus was born and there when He hung on a tree. She walked through all of that and her yes was on the table before she ever saw how it all play out. And so the encouragement for all of us is God is worthy of our yes. And we may not know what it all looks like, but He is so worthy. And so if you are feeling maybe like you're a, 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 a 
a Jewish person of the people of God living in the first century, weary after 400 years of silence, hope is beginning to slip through the cracks. You feel maybe like you're in the middle of nowhere. You feel like maybe God is distant. The encouragement is God is near. And God has a purpose. And while we're waiting, God is always working. He's always working while we're waiting. And so God help us to watch this teenage girl named Mary and that by God's grace, He would find us saying yes to Him in spite of our what we may consider ordinariness. That we would walk in a humble way with the Lord. That our obedient yes is always on the, sa- on the table. That we would find ourselves treasuring up God's Word like she must have as this was the song that came out of her life when the whirlwind came and knocked her over. That He is worthy of our yes. And God wants to use you where you are in an unmistakable way for His glory. He desires that. He desires that. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. And God, thank You for the testimony of Mary. God, thank You for just this example of a humble, wanting Your will more than anything else for their lives, heart full of Scripture, amazingly ordinary, in a nowhere-nothing town. God, help us by Your grace to emulate what we see in her life. That God, if there is a step of faith or a step of obedience that You are calling us to, but perhaps our flesh is trying its best to go its own way, Father, I pray You would find us humble and I pray You would find us obedient. That even if the road marked and You told us there would be suffering, but God, that to choose Your way, Your design, God is always Your best for our lives. So God, I pray, God, that You would find our yes on the table. We mess up, we fall short, our lives are broken. But God, in Your grace, Your grace upon grace, God, You meet us where we are, even if we feel like we're in the middle of nowhere. And by Your grace, through the power of Your Spirit, You move us forward. So God, I pray that You would find us hungry, humble, obedient, and full of worship for You. And God, I pray if there is anybody here who doesn't have a relationship with You, that today would be the day of salvation, that today would be the day where they acknowledge their sin has separated them from a holy God and that in Your love You have pursued them and You have lived a life we can never live, died a death we all deserve, were crucified on a cross, placed in a tomb, and You rose the third day. And Your Word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. So God, I pray You would find us obedient to Your will in this moment. We love You and praise You in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. And um, boy, pastors here, we'd love to pray over you. The altar's open. Uh, but let's give our hearts to the Lord during this time.